5 a.m. in central Brooklyn. The streets are full of hundreds of thousands of revelers who have been partying all night long. Everyone is covered in paint, tar, and powder. Rum flows freely and the music is alive. Dancers follow rough and raucous acoustic bands pulled by small trucks. This is Jouvet, the unruly pre-dawn bacchanal that marks the unofficial opening of Carnival in Brooklyn. Later, more than two million people will pack into central Brooklyn for the West Indian Day Parade, with flags flying, food grilling, and music blaring. And today on Afropop Worldwide, we're celebrating Carnival Brooklyn style. The West Indian Day Parade, held over Labor Day weekend in Brooklyn, is one of the largest carnival celebrations in North America. But it is just one of the many festivities celebrating Caribbean culture that happens that week. On this show, we'll join steel pan groups as they prepare for the annual panorama competition, experience the unique Haitian Rara approach to carnival, get down at Juve, and tackle some of the controversial issues that threaten to derail the Labor Day carnival every year. But before we hit the parade, let's turn it over to producer Morgan Greenstreet in the Panyards, a little over a week before Carnival. It's 10 p.m. in an industrial area of Canarsie, Brooklyn. From the street, I can hear the sounds of a steel pan group rehearsing inside the courtyard of a bar called Seaside Yards. The yard is flanked by gutted cars from a nearby auto body shop, but inside there's tons of life. The steel pan was first developed in Trinidad in the early 20th century, made from empty oil drums. Pan has since been transformed into a fully chromatic, versatile instrument played solo or in large steel orchestras. Pan has spread across the globe, and the Caribbean pan community is especially strong here in Brooklyn. The group practicing in the courtyard is called Steel Explosion. I talked with their arranger and co-owner. My name is Freddie Harris. Freddie Harris III, a.k.a. FH3, Fred Steele, the hip-hop alias. But right now we are um, trying to come out for Panorama. The Panorama Steel Band Competition, modeled off its namesake in Trinidad, takes place the Saturday before Labor Day. And all over Brooklyn, steel bands like Steel Explosion are preparing their 8 to 10 minute competition pieces in the hopes of winning a $20,000 cash prize. This is our third year out as a Panorama group. We've been through some trials and tribulations and we're finally here. The main thing is that we make it. We're kind of small right now, we're trying to build our numbers. But so far, SXP is doing pretty good. Freddie's sister and co-owner Tamika Garcia-Harris is a veteran pan player from the legendary pan neighborhood Laventil in Port of Spain, Trinidad. She filled us in on some of the challenges SXP and the entire New York pan community have faced in recent years. 
The problem I think was going on in New York is the lack of players and the yard situation. So back in the days, it was easy to just grab a piece of open property and like set your band up and nobody bothered you. But now things are changing. Gentrification is going on in Brooklyn. And so it's becoming more and more difficult to find property and places to practice. And then, of course, the pricing of things, right? $7,000 a month for a piece of land. The bands are becoming smaller and smaller, nowhere to practice, and so it's just been a difficult year. Beyond the challenge of finding an affordable yard to accommodate 50 to 100 players and tons of equipment, Pan groups now have to navigate new noise ordinances, restricting rehearsal times to 11 p.m. in residential areas. The city also now requires expensive permits to sell alcohol or food, which was one of the ways groups used to raise money to cover their costs. The money, I'm going to tell you this, it averages about $15,000 to bring out a Panorama site. So that includes your tuners, paying up the arranger, some players may want to be paid, your rent, your uniforms, your flag people, and just equipment like blocks and racks. And, and the prize money, if you win, is only 20 grand. So it's not like you're really so much, you know, coming out in the positives, right? Every year I say I'm not going to do this, and it becomes like this bittersweet relationship. <laughs> So I end up doing it. I don't I don't know. They say they call it the pan jumbie or the pan bug. Everyone ends up, are you gonna do this next year? Oh hell no, I'm not doing it next year. And then as the summer starts to come in and the spring flowers start to rise and you go, I think I'm the band is coming up again next year, and people go, Are you crazy? This is suicide, you know, but you have to love it. Despite all these challenges, Tamika and Freddie are working with the players in Steel Explosion to make exciting steel pan music. They're getting ready for the big panorama day and keeping their spirits high. You do your best to try to create your own energy wherever you're at, whether it's a room or whatever. You just gotta try to bring the spirit of Trinidad in wherever you go. On another night, I went down the block to check out Crossfire Steel Orchestra rehearsing in their yard, actually the third yard they've had this season. On the night I visited, they were recording their panorama tune with When Steel Talks, a website and video team dedicated to serving the pan community with news and high quality recordings.
Crossfire's young arranger, Kendall Williams, watched the band rehearse with his small daughter in his arms. She wore headphones to protect her developing ears from the thunderous sound of pans and drums. When Kendall had a spare moment, I asked him about his arrangement. The name of the tune is called Scene, um, sung by GBM Neutron. It's a popular soca tune. It's not specific to pan, per se, which usually there's like these things we call pan songs or pan tunes that people write specifically for the steel pan instrument. And then there are popular soca tunes that are made popular by parties and, and that kind of stuff. I just want to join the line, drink a rum in paradise, have a good time with my friends, leave me, let me live my life. I want to hold on to girl and jam up the bumper. I just want to have some fun, but this girl is turned down. She have we business out on the road. All we business out on the road. Watch how she business out on the road. All we business out on the road. So, how do you turn a tune like this into an arrangement like this? We listened to the lyrics of the story of the song, and we came up with a storyline about um, what should happen in the song. And then I arranged music to suit the story. Um, I always try to do things a little bit different. I sort of have the jazzy side of me, which I love, and it's sort of uh, rough and raw, and I never really got to study jazz. But then I have the classical contemporary side of me, which I actually studied in school. And so I try to apply that in terms of orchestration and an overview. So I sort of have the, the outline of... Kendall is being a bit humble here about his credentials. He has a master's degree in theory and composition from NYU, and he's currently working on a PhD at Princeton. Kendall has also worked with acclaimed contemporary music ensembles So Percussion, Bang on a Can, and the American Composers Orchestra. So he brings all that to his steel band arrangements, and he also brings Crossfire into that music scene all the time.
We're hearing an excerpt of Crossfire Steel Orchestra playing Kendall Williams' arrangement of GBM Neutron's tune, Scene. There was something else I just had to ask. So you're doing a cover, essentially, or an arrangement. Yes. Is there any, like, do you guys have to get rights from the, the author? Or um, not necessarily, just because it's our interpretation of the song. And then we're also not making any money off of the songs. I think the fact that it's an arrangement also helps in us not having to worry about that as opposed to... If we were as we spoke, put Kendall's together, attention um, drifted to a man uh, who had just walked into the yard. This is actually yeah, the guy who sang the song. Oh, cool. You man. see? Nice What's to meet up? you. Okay, I was just, <laughs> just doing, <laughs> just doing it. Yo, I appreciate Yo, you coming respect. through. Major respect. Major, major, major respect. GBM Neutron was in the yard to check out Kendall's arrangement. It was the first time the two had met. Yeah. Oh, wicked, wicked, yeah, yeah. wicked. Well, yeah, I'm in the right place tonight then. Yeah. How does it feel like when somebody arranges your song for Pam? I mean, it, it feels amazing. It feels amazing. I'm here to hear the piece for the first time. Um, to be honest, it feels amazing. I feel honored just that he would do that, you understand? Because um, it means that somebody who is creative in their own way connects to the creativity that I express forth. So it feels great to have that kind of link up. I'm hoping to hear it and feel the same excitement I feel. I won't slow you down, man. <laughs> Get in there. Good to meet you. Nice Good to, to meet, meet you, you as well. Thanks, Morgan. That's awesome. If you're new to the world of Pan, well, you may be wondering, as I was, how do these massive groups memorize and master these complex 10-minute arrangements? How do 100 musicians get this tight? We got our answer at another nearby Pan Yard. We're hearing the reigning panorama champions, Rado Steel Orchestra, drilling a single line over and over, doing the hard work necessary to get the music tight. Do this every night for six weeks, and I tell you, you're ready for panorama. Back to Morgan. Rado's has a large open yard with a smoking barbecue stand in one corner and plenty of room to rehearse their 100-piece band. Rado's has been at this yard for 10 years, but next year, they have to move on. Yeah, yeah, this is it, man. This is it. 10, 10 years. That's Rado's manager, the real estate developer Tom Montfalcoen. His contact, Irving Litvak, owns the lot and had rented it to the band for cheap. He said, yeah, you know, you can stay here until I do something with the place. Basically pay his taxes. But the tides of Brooklyn real estate finally turned the Canarsie lot into a desirable location for commercial development. And Rado's is out of a yard. The rise in the price of real estate has put extreme pressure on the cultural nonprofit world. It's really sad. You know, it's a sad, sad thing because you can't compete. It's just not possible. 
Tom describes steel pan bands as cultural non-profits, akin to the Metropolitan Opera, while Rados has relied on Tom's real estate savvy, getting low-level sponsorships, and throwing parties to get by, other groups like Despers USA and Kasim have partnered with youth organizations to find their way forward. Well, my band um, make up of a lot of youths. Since we be- began 1983, it was focusing in the youths. That's Travis Roberts, captain of Kasim Steel Orchestra. It's basically giving the youths a different avenue to you know, focus their talents. We uh, recruit kids them to play from age of five until about 16. So that is how we basically um, stay alive and keep the culture moving. I always tell them the band is like a revolving door. You know, one person leaves, the next person come up. And that's what we've been doing for over 20 something years now. I've been in, like, in this band since I was a child. Maybe not playing like every year, but in the band supporting and everything, it's been me like all the way, 100%. So, yeah. That's Jada, a young tenor panist in Kasim. This is, as I said, it's a family band. Like, for me, like, my uncles, my aunts, my cousins, everybody. So, you know, once you feel at home here, this is where you're going to go. This is where you're going to stay. So, definitely, Kasim is the place to be. <laughs> Pan is a multi-generational activity, and the age range in some groups is striking, with middle schoolers playing alongside retirees. Desper's USA captain Wayne Bumpy Innes says the sheer discipline of playing pan has benefits that extend beyond the yard. We design for youth rally. So we try to bring in the youth, keep them off the streets for the summer, discipline them, and we get them good results in school because if you can do this discipline, when they go to school, you can apply that discipline to your school. Travis Roberts. A lot of times people keep on saying, oh, there's no money in steel band, there's no money in the panorama. But I always think about when I grew up, I love panorama. And even though I have been through it a lot of times, I always think about the other kids who are just coming up. They might be looking forward to it. So if we don't go, if I don't go, kind of like hampering them from experiencing what I went through. So there's no doubt pan groups are at risk in New York. But engaging the younger generations in this Caribbean tradition is one way to assure that steel orchestras will continue in years to come. Thanks, Morgan. After the many months of intense preparation and long nights rehearsing in the panyards, we are finally here. It's the Saturday before Labor Day, and Panorama is about to begin. The parking lot of the Brooklyn Museum is a sprawling hub of activity and excitement, perfumed by the fragrant smoke of oil drum grills. Vendors at brightly lit stalls offer a bounty of favorite Caribbean dishes, bacon shark, jerk chicken, rice and peas. All around the massive stage is a sea of people eating, drinking and dancing to the non-stop soca booming from the speakers. The energy is high. The crowd and the bands are brimming with anticipation. And finally, the moment we've all been waiting for. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our National Panorama Competition 2016. In position number one is the band Kazim Steel Orchestra. With 100 players, they have come to play for us on pans tuned by Andy Niels. 
Band tuners have the extremely important role of ensuring that hundreds of instruments are in tune and blended together. Because tuning is so essential, bands often fly in expert tuners from Trinidad. Kazim Steel Orchestra. Kasim came out of the gate swinging. However, throughout the night, the sound engineers really struggled to balance the mix. And as the first band, well, Kasim bore the brunt of the sound issues. Though they gave it their all, they placed six out of ten. Desper's USA offered some stiff competition with their arrangement of Different Me by Five Star Akil. That's hot! For this performance, Desper's USA took fifth place, much to the chagrin of their fans. But Crossfire had a trick up their sleeve. Their finale was completely different than what we heard in the panyard.
excellent. With that fiery performance, Crossfire took third place. Of course, in any competition, there must be a winner, but really, all the groups deserve an award just for making it to Panorama. This year, the winner was Rado's Steel Orchestra once again, with a fierce arrangement of different me. And that is the sound of an ecstatic steel band winning Panorama for the third year in a row. When their win was announced, players and fans stormed the stage, popping bottles of champagne. Cheers to your victory, Drados, and many, many more to come. Coming up, we take you to Jouvet and the Labor Day Parade. Visit our website, afropop.org, for in-depth interviews and photos from Carnival in Brooklyn. I'm Georges Collidet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. the night, but central Brooklyn is wide awake and buzzing. It's time for Jouvet, the pre-dawn celebration that kicks off Carnival in Brooklyn. The word Jouvet comes from two French words, 
jour ouvert, meaning daybreak in Creole. But this celebration actually begins around midnight of the Sunday before Labor Day and continues well into mid-morning. Jouvet doesn't happen in a single place, but all over central Brooklyn, with block parties and roving groups of musicians and revelers taking to the streets. There is a semi-official parade organized by Jouvet City International. But unlike the Labor Day Parade, Jouvet is all about live bands. Steel bands, rhythm bands, rara bands, and much more. The Jouvet celebration has roots in a harvest festival called Canboulet, from the French Canbrulé, dating back to 18th century Trinidad. Commemorating the back-breaking harvest, slaves were forced to perform when the sugarcane field caught fire. After emancipation in 1838, former slaves and indentured servants merged Canboulé with the European masquerade traditions of the pre-Lantern Carnival. Their alternative carnival was a defined celebration of freedom, with crowds of Afro-Creole people drumming, singing and dancing in the streets. Today, Jouvet is still celebrated in Trinidad, Grenada, and elsewhere in the Anglophone Caribbean. And in Brooklyn, back to Morgan Green Street, who joined this year's Jouvet celebration. I started the night with Haitian Rara group Brother High in Flatbush. As we waited for the full band to assemble, the musicians warmed up together, playing drums, bells, and scrapers, and blowing the single-note trumpets, called tourne, that are characteristic of rara. When they paused to tune a drum with a hammer, I took a moment to chat with Montina, maestro of Brother High. So today is the juve, so we're going to do what we can, so what we usually do for the juve. We mobilize everybody, you know, anywhere is the drum. They hit the drums, you know, the spirit is right there, so people can dance, sing, do everything. What people like, the rara. Usually the Haitian people, when they heard about rara, they like that. Another drummer in Brother High, Morgan Zwerlein, a student of the acclaimed Haitian drummer Frisner Augustin, had an interesting perspective on Rara in Brooklyn. Rara is not even part of Carnival in Haiti. Rara in Haiti happens during the Lent season. But here in Brooklyn, y'all come out for, for Carnival, for Juve. Because that's our Rara night where the police won't stop us. I mean, they try to, but you know, that's, that's our night to shine. When enough musicians had gathered, Brother High began playing and singing in earnest. they played, one of the drummers lit a small fire on the pavement, feeding it with alcohol, and the band started circling the fire, playing as they went. Morgan told me how Rara is connected to Haitian vodou, or spirit worship. 
This fire ritual is intended to heat up the band and call the spirits to guard and protect them in the streets. The original Lala obviously comes from Africa. It was when the Voodoo community would honor certain spirits that were like hotter and they take it to the street. So that's the way I know it, that they were bringing the Voodoo to the streets. As they played, the sidewalk filled with spectators, and after circling the fire for a while, the band took off up the street, and the crowd followed. Clusters of police officers were stationed on nearly every corner in the neighborhood, Due to recent violence associated with Juve, the NYPD doubled their presence on the streets for 2016. I decided to say hello to a couple of cops. How's it going, y'all? I'm out here making a radio program about Juve. Would y'all be interested in saying anything? Or? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, you know, we have this going on right here, so we can't talk at the moment, but uh, maybe, maybe later. It's a rah-rah group, right? Uh, I, I really have no idea. <laughs> Just then, a police car pulled out from the side street and stopped in front of the group. There was a moment of tension, uncertainty, as the drummers argued about which way to go, watching the police car with suspicion. It turned out the police only wanted to escort the group to the next precinct, passing the buck, so to speak and soon Brother High was on their way, following the flashing lights of the police car down East 21st Street. followed the group up Ocean Avenue to Empire Boulevard, where the police blocked them once again. They turned down the Juve Parade route in reverse and followed Flatbush towards Grand Army Plaza. Brother High was just getting started. During Juve, they play all night long, traversing miles of central Brooklyn before dawn. You go after like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, two hours, three hours, it's like climbing a mountain. You know, you're in a different world, but you're seeing so much you're seeing cops, you're seeing drunk person fall over, you're seeing people falling in love, you're seeing little kids with their grandmas. It's like multiple generations of just like beautifulness. Flatbush, near Grand Army Plaza, we joined with the Juve Parade. Noisy, dancing crowds covered in paint and tar, clouds of powder in the air, and drums. Lots of drums. These groups of about 20 drummers, called rhythm bands, were crammed onto trailers pulled by small trucks, and there were many in the street that night. 
Natural Expression, Cutter's Rhythm, Rhythm Masters, Spice Isle Rhythm, Steve Massive Rhythm, Some Kinda Bacchanal. These percussion groups are basically expanded from the rhythm section of steel bands, and they use plenty of metal. Drummers play car brake drums with iron rods, and the sounds of this ringing metal, plus deep booming bass drums and cracking snares can be heard for miles around. Rhythm bands keep up these powerful, relentless, pounding grooves for hours. Alongside the rhythm bands, there were also steel pan groups and one brass band from French Guyana. Maori Cho Neg traveled all the way from French Guyana to perform at Brooklyn Carnival in 2016. At Juve, they marched 50 strong in all black with glowing red devil horns. Definitely a favorite. Masqueraders accompanied many of the bands. Each troupe had a different theme and related costumes, some of which were quite powerful. Pagua Mas celebrated blackness, proudly proclaiming Juve's African roots, with signs including Black Power, Africa Lives, and Black Lives Matter. They were dressed in all black, some sporting Afro wigs, some covered in tar with jab-jab devil horns and chains. Another mass band, Oil Downers, wore white with name tags identifying them as politicians, including Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and Rudy Giuliani. One of their signs said, the Republican Party isn't racist, it just has different rules for black people. At 5 a.m., I found Steel Explosion turning the corner onto Flatbush Avenue as dawn began to lighten the edges of the sky and I recognized the tune they were playing. That Steel Explosion doing Work From Home, a pop tune from the group Fifth Harmony. The parade organizers, Juve City International, put up a panel to judge the Juve bands, and Freddie Harris III of SXP told me about the two categories of competition for steel bands, the Calypso and the Bomb Song. The Bomb Song is normally an R&B song or some form of classic song that you take and you do it over in Calypso. Despite placing ninth at Panorama, 
SXP took second place three years in a row in the Bomb Song competition at Juve 2016. As of right now, we're not necessarily the top biggest Panorama band, but we are official Juve band, I'll say that, because we had our crowd was up and everything. We was getting it in. Everybody was whining and dancing, having a good time playing that pan, trying to make it happen. Morgan. Although Jouvet is supposed to be a loose public street celebration, the organizers had to get a permit this year for the first time in 22 years. Now the parade doesn't officially start until 4 a.m., which means the sun is coming up as the bands are really getting going. It's like going to the club. When you go to the club and all the lights is on, when all the lights are on, it's like time to go home. Freddie from SXP. In Juve now, you come into Juve and as you get there, it's like time to go home. Because the lights is up and everything. So you're not getting that full experience that we used to get back in the 90s, I would say. In the 90s, we had a really nice, it was really, really good. So what has changed? Well, for the past few years, Juve has been under intense political pressure due to some incidents of fatal violence that occurred along the parade route. In 2015, a lawyer who had worked for New York State Governor Cuomo was caught in the crossfire of a gang-related shooting while he followed Brother High on Bedford Avenue. Another man was also stabbed to death that night. For 2016, the police decided to double their numbers at Juve, put up 200 light towers along the route and put up posters around the neighborhood in the preceding days with the blunt message, don't shoot anyone, don't stab anyone. Despite the overwhelming police presence, two people were shot to death right on the parade route. 22-year-old Tiara Poyo and 17-year-old Tyreek Borel. Out of Brooklyn, a violent turn to the Jove celebration. Well, violent the latest numbers the from the NYPD, two dead from gunshot wounds, another two injured there have from been gunshot three wounds. separate shootings. Thousands flood the streets ahead of today's Since then, much of the press around Jove and even the Labor Day Parade has been overwhelmingly negative. In the wake of the violence, some local politicians have called for Jove to be cancelled. City Council member Lori Kumbo has been vocally critical of this talk. We were fortunate to get her on the phone for her thoughts a few days after Labor Day. The concept of canceling it or continuing it is a very complex matter because you have an event that has gone unsanctioned for over two decades without permission. How do you cancel an unsanctioned event where over 250,000 people are in attendance? To Kumbo, the violence that occurs at Juve is part of a larger problem, and the Caribbean community should not be faulted. The media gives the impression that Brooklyn is a violence-free, gun-free borough that enjoys a utopia of sorts during the summer. Then all of a sudden, the Caribbean community gets together and there is a violent incident that happens every year. That's the way the media portrays it, when in reality, there's an incident of gun violence that's happening every weekend, whether there is a pre-Labor Day activity or there is not a pre-Labor Day activity. This is really, you know, a very serious situation with gun violence in our community. Don't take your gun to town, son. I beg you, don't take your gun to town. 
for our communities, which are people of African descent. We have gone through over five centuries of colonization, a transatlantic slave trade, and a decimation of our entire culture. There are so many social ills that still ravish our community that that has to also be thought of and taken into account when we're thinking about how do we simply have opportunities for celebration. Powerful words from council member Lori Kumbu. From the perspective of musicians who love Jouvet, the overwhelming police presence might actually do more harm than good. Here is Freddie Harris III. You can't blame the police for wanting to step out and protect the people a little bit more, but um, it's taken away. When you cage that experience, you don't get to feel it. Everybody doesn't get to free up the way they want to free up. The violence happens wherever the police blockade us because people start getting stressed when they get caged in. Morgan Zwerling of Brother High. The crazy thing is all night before that, we're fine. People get in little scuffles, but because you're moving forward, it gets left behind and it dissolves. But once they cage you in, you can't move forward from the scuffle. So somebody gets pushed and then they have nowhere to go. The band can't move forward, the music stops. And if the music stops too, it's really bad. Like things happen usually when the music stops. And the police always stop the music. As the revelers of Jouvet head home to wash off the paint and oil, the biggest event of the holiday weekend in Brooklyn is about to kick off, the West Indian Day Parade. At 11 a.m., 16-wheel trucks begin to roll slowly down Eastern Parkway, a major four-lane thoroughfare in central Brooklyn. Atop the trucks, stacks of speakers blast the hottest tunes to come out of the Caribbean in the past year. The music can be heard from blocks away. Atop the speakers on the trucks, there are DJs, MCs, and dancers hyping up the gathering crowds that line Eastern Parkway and will exceed over a million people. This, I tell you, is huge. Mass bands, groups of costume revelers, follow the trucks down the parkway on foot. These bands number in the hundreds, sometimes thousands, and are dressed in colorful bikinis, feathers, glitter, body paint, and more. They wave flags, dance, sing, and cheer. Just for a few hours, nothing matters. Aisha Kar, director of Sesame Flyers, a prominent mass band in Brooklyn. When you hear that music and you're in your costume, and you don't care how it fits, you know, you're just carefree. I just get in on Lining the parkway are hundreds of fenders selling Caribbean food, crafts, drinks, and more to serve to visitors who come from all over New York, the United States, and the world. But it is the non-stop music that truly fuels this parade. This year's Road March winner in Trinidad was, who else? Michelle Montano, with his mega soca hit, waiting on the stage. So, of course, the track was on constant rotation during the parade. Waiting on the stage, 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 st
While the parade is modeled after the carnival in Trinidad, music from across the Caribbean can be heard on the parkway. Every Anglophone Caribbean country and even some Francophone countries are represented. And with them, the most popular songs from that country. from Haiti with his 2016 carnival hit, Dandy. He was at this year's Labor Day Parade hyping up the Haitian crowd. I'll tell you a story you do not know It's about Carnival and Calypso Jube, Barrio, while the West Indian Day Parade in Brooklyn attracts over a million people today, the parade certainly did not start out that way. In fact, it didn't even start in Brooklyn, but in Harlem during the 1920s. They started in people's homes. They would have a little house party. That's Jean Alexander, secretary of the board of directors for the West Indian American Day Carnival Association. They are the non-profit that runs the parade and most of the weekend's festivities, including Panorama. Jean has been with them for over 40 years, and we met up with her at their tiny storefront office on a busy street in central Brooklyn to speak about the long history of carnival in New York. This one gentleman who actually brought the carnival to Brooklyn, Rufus Goring, he made a bat costume and paraded in the hallway of his apartment building in Harlem. Everybody! Matilda! Hustle on! These carnival events began to slowly grow, but to line up with carnival in Trinidad, they were still happening in early February, a very cold month in New York. By 1947, the parade had moved outdoors to Lenox Avenue in Harlem, where it began to be held in the warm month of September. By the late 1960s, the parade had shifted to Brooklyn. Let me tell you something about Labor Day in Brooklyn. Everybody jumping, Labor Day in Brooklyn. Hey, every West Indian jumping up like mad. Just like a carnival day in Trinidad. Back then, the parade was nothing compared to this. When we started, I remember we used to be all on the back streets. That's Angela Silly, chairperson of the West Indian American Day Parade Association. Much like Jean, Angela has been with the organization for a very long time. There was just a couple hundred people, and then it grew. As it grew, then we came onto the parkway, and that's where it exploded. In 1969, thanks to a man called Carlos Lezama, the parade moved to Eastern Parkway in Brooklyn, where it remains today. To Jean and Angela, the parade was a way to bring an important part of Trinidadian culture to the diaspora in New York. When I was in Trinidad, I loved carnival. I used to make costumes for my little friends, um, old mass, we call it. And when I came here, I really missed that. Hey, mass. 
darling, don't stop. You must move fast while you jump up. Have a good time, a gay time in crazy Manhattan. It's mass, it's Madison Square Garden. The link of carnival is so strong, it's like the most potent drug. It is that your heritage, your tradition, that holds you together with this kind of activity. There's a lot of Caribbean Americans often don't have a really clear public identity, in part because they're a minority within a minority. Uh, they share much of the heritage and much of the experience of African Americans, but they also have some rather distinct cultural uh, differences from African Americans. And these come out in food, these come out in music. That's Philip Kassinitz, professor of sociology at CUNY and author of Caribbean New York, Black Immigrants and the Politics of Race. We chatted with Kassinitz to get some of his interesting thoughts on the West Indian Day Parade. Most of the people on the parkway today are probably second or third generation. So they're very much West Indian Americans. And to some degree, rather than a nostalgic event that sort of tries to recreate what goes on in the Caribbean, it's become a generator of cultural forms, some of which now bounce back to the Caribbean. As a result, new things get created. The thing that gets created is, I think, a very West Indian American and, in a lot of ways, very New York kind of sound and kind of experience. Soka megastar Bungie Garlin showing his love for New York with a new Soka freestyle. The West Indian Liberty Parade is not just a celebration of Caribbean culture. Over the years, it has gained major political weight. Today, the political importance of the parade is undeniable. It's hard to imagine that the mayor wouldn't show up. It's hard to imagine that the governor won't show up. Sure enough, both of them were there this year. Of course, where there is politics, money isn't too far away. And the parade is no different. Some estimates put the amount of money the parade generates to over $86 million. Gene Alexander thinks it's over $200 million. Regardless of the exact number, the West Indian American Day Carnival Association sees none of that money, despite being central to organizing the festivities. But the hard work of volunteers like Jean and Angela have made the parade and the weekend events stronger than ever. However, things are changing in central Brooklyn with rapid development and gentrification transforming the area's demographics. That neighborhood is increasingly young and white. And so now the question is this area that is symbolically connected to West Indian Americans, the Caribbean Americans, but demographically has an awful lot of non-Caribbean people there, what will that mean? Now you see more and more of those non-Caribbean people in the parade, and that's kind of cool. It's become one of the things that people go to see. It's become a tourist attraction. At the same time, maybe it becomes less effective as a politically unifying idea, as a, you know, this is ours, you know, and it becomes more a neighborhood thing perhaps than an ethnic thing. Angela Silly and Jean Alexander see these changes in Brooklyn, but believe the parade will continue. 
and they welcome the new crowds. I don't think the city would allow anyone to make a stop because they're making money off of it. And we are open to have the people that come now to be part of it. So once they become a part of it, you know, there's no stopping. <laughs> Funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art, and PRI, Public Radio International affiliate stations around the U.S. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. Additional support for Afropop Worldwide comes from Carnegie Hall. Tickets are on sale for the Angelique Kijo series of concerts, including Benin International Musical, Diaspora Songs, the Lionel Lueke Trio, and guest Ciro Battista, and Kijo's 60th birthday celebration. More info at carnegiehall.org. And from Womex, the showcase and exposition of roots and world music, October 23rd to the 27th. Tampere, Finland. More information at Womex.com. Thanks, Andrea Smith, the Wiatka office, and all the people who shared their carnival knowledge with us for this program. Visit Afropop.org for in-depth interviews and beautiful photos of carnival in Brooklyn. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at AfropopWW. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Morgan Greenstreet, Saxon Baird, and Sebastian Booknight. Join us next week for another edition of Afropop Worldwide. Our chief audio engineer and co-producer is Michael Jones. Additional engineering by Greg Ullman and Stephanie LeBeau. Banning Air and C.C. Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our director of operations is Ben Richman. And I'm Georges Collinet. PRI, Public Radio International.